we can get that to you real quick. Does anyone need a handout today, or is everyone good? All right, Mark chapter number 2, finishing up chapter number 2. At this rate, in about 10 years, we will get through the book of Mark. And so, but I'm enjoying our time here, and uh, it's a great book. The whole Bible is full of great books, every single one, to make up one book. You know, California has some crazy laws that most of you have no clue about this morning. And they're kind of surprising. Did you know this, that in California, it's illegal for persons to hunt game from a motor vehicle unless they're hunting for a whale? That's the only time you can hunt with a motor vehicle. Did you know that in, um, and I forget which city it is, it's illegal for a woman to drive a car in her housecoat? I'll give you, yeah, it's illegal in one city. These are just some old rules, ridiculous rules in California. I got more. I got 20 of them right here. Okay. Vehicles cannot surpass the speed of 60 miles per hour if there's no driver. It's quite a law right there, right? All right, in Downey. It's illegal to wash your car in the street. In Los Angeles, it's illegal to wash your neighbor's car without their permission. In Long Beach, automobiles are the only items allowed to be stowed in the garage. To be parked in the garage. The only thing allowed in Long Beach, this is a technical law. They don't follow it at all, but it's technically on the books. This is, you can look these up. These are real. I'm not making this up this morning. In La Hambra, Motorists cannot park their vehicles on the street overnight unless they have a special permit. In Walnuts, it's illegal to put rocks or sand on your driveway. And uh, here's a couple others. In Fresno, park visitors cannot annoy lizards they encounter at the city park. Leave the lizards alone in Fresno. Here's another. This law is a California law. Are you ready? Sunshine is guaranteed to the masses. Yeah. All right, in Arcadia, pay attention to this one. Peacocks have the right of way to cross the street. This includes your driveway. Don't forget, peacocks have the right of way. Um, in another city, it's illegal for residents to spit anywhere except on baseball diamonds. That's the only place you're allowed to spit. And it's. And uh, let's see, in El Monte, it is illegal to own a pinball machine. Did you know that? Yeah, that's a good one right there. In Eureka, it's illegal for, a, for men with mustaches to kiss a woman. In Eureka. So, good thing you don't live up there, Nick. That would have been the end right there. Um... And then another California law, this is only 15 to 20, I still got a few more here. It's illegal for animals to mate within 1,500 feet of a school, saloon, or place of worship. Next, it's illegal for a Californian to ride their bicycle through a public swimming pool. You cannot do it, okay? Don't even try. Um, in Los Angeles, it's illegal to hunt moss under a street lamp. Leave the moths alone, okay? Next, in Norco, it's illegal to grow oleander flowers. I think because, aren't they poisonous? And because of the horses and things that they eat it. So, but that's in Norco. In Long Beach, 
it's illegal to curse on a mini golf course. So if you'd have a problem there, Gene, wouldn't you? And then in Blythe, in Blythe, it's illegal to wear cowboy boots unless you own two or more cows. That's the only way you can wear cowboy boots. That's 20 of the most ridiculous California laws that are written that no one follows today for the most part. I bet the Oleander one gets followed quite a bit. You may laugh or groan at these outdated laws because they're ridiculous. But if we were to list all the rules and expectations and laws that are put into churches today that have no bearing on the Word of God, we'd be ashamed when we stopped to think about it. Spiritual growth can be, stu- can be stopped or choked to death by the weed of legalism. Legalism, I'm going to define it for you, can be defined as a strict adherence to the law. Specifically, as related to faith, a legalist is one who believes that performance is the way to gain favor with God. And you might not be a legalist in terms of salvation, but there are a lot of Christians, and even at times many Baptists, and I'll even say sometimes myself, where I'm more legalistic than what I should be. You cannot do anything. If you've been here on Sunday nights in the book of Romans, if you've been here through the book of Mark so far, something you see over and over again. There is nothing that we can do. Our works are as filthy rags. You cannot get closer to God by anything that you do. We're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. Paul spent several chapters there in Romans explaining that fact that we on our own cannot. We're justified by faith. And and so when God looks at me today, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Not because I'm a perfect person or because I don't sin. Because that's not how it works. Because by faith I've trusted Jesus Christ. Which, if we talked about faith or we talked about um, grace... How can a dead man have faith? Can a dead man have grace? No, they're gifts from God, and we can go further down that line. But sometimes, and legalism is the human attempt to gain salvation, or, and nowadays we see this prevalent a lot, or to prove our spirituality by an outward conformity to a list of religious do's and don'ts. I want to make several observations before we dive into the message today. Then we're going to dive in, and we'll see how far we get. I want to give you a few thoughts on legalism this morning. The first one is this. Number one, we tend to think others are legalistic, but that we're not. The fact is that we're all legalistic by nature. We tend to judge others by our own standards of what is acceptable and what is not. In essence, we think our sin doesn't quite smell as bad as someone else's sin. We tend to look favorably upon ourselves and less favorably on someone else because we're basing our standard on what we think. And if you tend to do this and you tend to base your standards on what you think is best for others, you're probably a legalist. Number two, legalism is highly contagious. 
it's highly contagious. Well, usually less, you know, the Pharisees, it was on their mind all the time. I don't know many Christians today that are as crazy with it as the Pharisees were in Jesus' day. But just because we don't think on it constantly or it's systematically in our mind, legalism can spread faster than COVID-19. Number three, legalism can take a vibrant faith and make it dull and lifeless. It can evaporate enthusiasm. It can remove joy and stifle spirituality. Instead of finding freedom through Christ... Many believers are living with great burdens by the legalistic tendencies that they live under. Number four, legalism produces self-righteousness and judgment. This is exactly right. I don't even have to explain this one very well. Majoring in guilt and misguided sacrifice Legalism urges its followers to evaluate their relationship with God based on their standards and their scores. My standing with God has nothing to do with anything that I do. My standing with God is settled at Calvary. When he cried, it is finished, it was literally finished then. That ended it. When we live in legalism, it produces we're going to be judging others. Why aren't they living that life? Why aren't they as spiritual as I am? Do you see the self-righteousness that comes in? Because we're making people appear, and they got to be in our standard and, and uh, at our standard of things. It's what the Pharisees were doing with Jesus and his disciples all through chapter number 2. But legalism produces this, number 5. Legalism makes us narrow and divisive. The legalist insists that everyone live up to the standard they have adopted. In other words, everyone needs to be like me. I've seen it. I've seen churches where they ordain young men for ministry. And I've seen where they've made this statement, if you're not going to do things the way I do it, I'm not going to ordain you. There's a legalist for you. Because your stand, you got to understand something. You might have some standards in your life that are higher, and praise God for it. I think standards are a great thing. Convictions are great. But you got to remember, if it's not in this book and what God says, it's an added feature for your life. And because you add it to your life, doesn't mean you have to make everyone else add it to their life. And there are many Christians who have no fellowship with other Christians because they don't dot their I or cross their T identical to them. And it makes us narrow and it's very divisive. A lot of the people that are legalists are going to have a problem when they get to heaven and see all those who didn't do things just the same as them are going to be accompanying heaven with them if they trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we're going to all get along in heaven. Number six, legalism makes it impossible for people to see Jesus. There's nothing that pushes a non-Christian away faster than a list of rules and regulations. 
what a lot of us do, and I'm talking to myself this morning as well, because there's been many times where I would be, I'd fit a lot of these things I'm talking about this morning. We portray Christ inadvertently as a drill sergeant instead of a delightful Savior, like he is. As we look and we get into our text this morning, verse 23 through 28, and finish out the, the chapter, the Sabbath, our Saturday, was a big deal in the Old Testament. Did you know at the time of Jesus, the Jewish leaders of the day established 39 Sabbath clarifications, each one having multiple subdivisions? There were over 1,500 things prohibited for a person on the Sabbath that they had come up with. Here are a few of these that they had. Are you ready? It was unlawful to kill a flea that lands on your arm because that would make you guilty of hunting on the Sabbath. If a man's ox fell into a ditch, he could pull it out, but if a man fell in, he had to stay in till the next day. You could dip a radish in salt but if you left it there too long, you were pickling it and thus working. The Pharisees actually had a discussions on how long to pickle a radish. Think about that. That's pretty crazy. How about this one? You could only eat an egg that had been laid on the Sabbath if you killed the chicken for working on the Sabbath. It was okay to spit on a rock on the Sabbath, but you couldn't spit on the ground because that made mud, and mud was mortar, and that was work. The Jewish Talmud, which is like a commentary that codified or explained the, what behavior was okay, had 24 chapters on the Sabbath laws. One rabbi said this, he said he spent two and a half years studying just one chapter to figure out the minute detail of what could be picked up and carried on the Sabbath. The Pharisees in Jesus' ministry that we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John attacked Jesus about the Sabbath six different times in the Gospels. Five of them have to do with Jesus' healing on the holy day, and one has to do with the behavior of the disciples, which we look at today. Look at verse 23. Let's read it together. We'll dive into the sermon this morning. And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have ye never read what David did when he had need and he was hungered, he and they that were with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests, and gave also to them which were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Father, we thank you for the time that we have this morning. Pray you bless the next few minutes that we have as we study this passage. Help us today. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Three-point outline, very simple. We'll dive right in. Number one, we see the accusation. We see the accusation. 
Now, as we've gone through this chapter, it keeps the accusations keep coming, remember? Earlier it was that he healed that man and that he said that his sins were forgiven him. How can, how can he say that his sins are forgiven unless he's God? Remember, hey, why is it John's disciples and the... Why is it that your disciples don't fast like we do? And now Jesus and his disciples are walking on the Sabbath and they pick up some, they get corn, pluck some corn off, and they're eating it. And their problem is we see several things, and we'll dive in here, we see the accusation. The Pharisees and the other religious leaders are ramping up the accusations. They just keep building. They're offended that Jesus forgave sins. They really are mad that his disciples weren't fasting like they were. And I want you to understand, you think about this, I love this little um, statement here. When personal preference becomes spiritual commandment, the seeds of pride produce legalism and tradition. Personal preference is okay. If you've got personal preferences, we all do. Some of you, there are certain restaurants that you like and certain ones you don't like. You know, anybody in here like the McRib? If you like a McRib, would you raise your hand? If you like a McRib, I hear people, I don't know. I've never tried it, never going to. And uh, I've heard people, you know, people say, I don't know, you know, the vaccine. I don't know what it all is, so I don't know if I'm going to put that in my body. But those same people eat McRibs, and I don't know about these guys. I was just saying, but I don't know about a McRib. I don't know, there's, I don't know if that's, I don't even know what that is. And some people like them, and that's a personal preference. I've never tried them, and I'm going to avoid them as long as I can. That's going to be how it is for me in my life. Who was it that raised their hand that they like it? And so Nick and John, those guys and, and trouble. That could be part of your trouble right there. And, uh, but John, I don't know. I just thought about McRib the other day. So it was a meme that someone put out. If you're questioning the vaccine, but you eat a McRib, just think about that one. That's what it said. And I thought that was hilarious. That's one of the, and that's not pro or against. I'm just saying, I thought that was pretty funny. And so you think about this, we have personal preferences. But when we elevate our personal preferences to spiritual commandments, that's where pride creeps in. That's, where, that's what produces the legalism and tradition. And we as Baptists are very good with this. And I'll leave that there and you can think on that one. We're to trump our traditions with the Word of God and make sure that we're following God's Word and not adding to what it says. Let's look a little bit closer at what actually happened right here. Verse 23. And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. Well, in the main roads in Israel, it was quite common to cut through the fields of corn. And where you wanted to go. To us, it's kind of foreign, and we would not do that. And, uh, or maybe you would just go through the, we might do a maze or something. But another thing is, you're walking past someone's orange tree nowadays. Now, I see people do it. There's a tree over on the fence here, and every once in a while, I see someone drive up real quick. They jump out of their car, grab a piece, jump back in their car, and get out of there as fast as they can. It was a common sight, though, in Israel, as someone is passing through a cornfield or things like that, and it's foreign to us, but if they were hungry, it was okay to, to pick a piece of ripe grain or whatever, rub it in your hands, break it in the hut, and then eat the kernels. This wouldn't go over well today. Them as part of their welfare system that Israel had in their day. Now, what I want you to understand is what the disciples did right here was perfectly legitimate and legal to do. 
The Bible tells us in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 23 and verse 25, When thou comest into the standing corn of thy neighbors, then thou mayest pluck the ears with thine hand, but thou shalt not move a sickle unto thy neighbor's standing corn. So it's okay to grab a piece of corn, to break it, and to eat it as you pass through someone's field. It would not be okay for you to get your John Deere tractor and plow down their cornfield. That's what the Bible's saying right here. So this was okay. So get this with me. So what the disciples did, according to the Bible, is okay, correct? Correct. Okay. Not only two of you agree with me, but that's okay. Right there. You notice, though, the Pharisees were not attacking the disciples for, for plucking the grain and for having the grain in their hands and eating it. They were getting after them for their work on the Sabbath. The parallel passage in Luke chapter number 6 and verse number 1, it says, And his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. It's exactly the process that we read about. This is what they did. And rolling the grain to remove the husk was considered sifting. Rubbing the kernel was threshing. Eating was grinding. And tossing the chaff in the air was winnowing. That basically means that, according to the Pharisees, they were working by what they were doing. All of this is based off of Exodus chapter 34, verse 21. Six days shalt thou work, but on the seventh day thou shalt rest. In earing time and in harvest thou shalt rest. Well, as we look at this passage, it does not tell us if Jesus was eating. It says the disciples were. I'm probably pretty sure Jesus probably was too. Maybe not, but we don't know. You say, well, that show I watched on Jesus, he did. You don't trust any show what it says about Jesus. I love watching some of them. And the new one, The Chosen, I really like that. If you've never seen it, I would watch it. It's really good. But if you get your doctrine from it, don't do that, please. Please be smarter than that. We get our doctrine from the Word of God, no place else. And so, but you understand, the Pharisees basically told Jesus that he was responsible for the behavior of his followers. That was very strong in the culture of that day. If a rabbi's disciples did something wrong, the rabbi himself was held accountable. That kind of just should put something in our mind that our actions are a reflection of who we follow right? So let's be careful of the things that we do. We're followers of Christ. Let's be, let's do our best for him. And so, well, you might say, well, you just said we're not supposed to be legalistic. You know what I mean. Don't, don't play, play games with me on that one. Verse 24, and the Pharisee said unto him, behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? I get the sense here that these religious people, religious guys, are kind of just following Jesus and his disciples around looking for any little thing. Got ya! Behold! <laughs> Got ya! Right in the middle of it. They were just waiting to see them do something that they could call out. You notice their accusation is in the present tense. They were saying to him, this is not a one-time accusation. They did their best over and over again. It was a continual thing. And the, and the Pharisees love to ask that type of question. In chapter number 2 earlier, why does he eat with publicans and sinners? You know, in chapter 2, verse 18, why do John's disciples fast? The why, why, why? Sounds like a three or four-year-old, right? My four-year-old, why, dad, why, why, why? That's exactly what 
the Pharisees are doing with Jesus. And so serving as, you, basically they were religious traffic cops. That's what they were. The Pharisees were waiting to write tickets. Oh, they broke it. I saw it with my very own eyes. They were Barney Fife all over again. They're basically charging them, and therefore Jesus, you know, they say, why do, you, why do they on the Sabbath day, that which is not lawful? You're breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Jesus, it's interesting, wanted everyone to know that doing that which is good trumps Sabbath-keeping here. And do you notice that Jesus kept poking the bear with those religious people? He did. He did. You can see it. He did. I think he was, he was making a point. But I want you to understand, the Sabbath day was intended to be a special sign between God and his, or Jehovah and his covenant people. There were two main purposes behind the Sabbath. The first one is this, was rest. The word Sabbath comes from sabaton, which literally means a cessation from labor to desist from exertion. Just, it's a stopping, a stop working day. That's what the Sabbath was for, for rest. And also for rhythm, for rhythm. God set up a rhythm of work and rest, of labor, then leisure. That's how God designed it to be. Exodus chapter 20, verse 9 and 10. Six days shalt thou labor and do thy work, but in the seventh day is the Sabbath day of the Lord thy God, and it thou shalt do not any work. Same passage, verse number 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So what was the point of the Sabbath? For rest and for rhythm. God, had, God knew what he's doing. God knows what's best. Number two, so we see number one this morning, we see the accusation, which leads us to number two, the response from Jesus. The Pharisees, the other religious leaders, are ramping up their accusations. And as they do, we see that Jesus responds. And I love how Jesus always responds. He is a master at responding. How great is his response? is here and he actually rebukes them kind of with a touch of sarcasm here look at verse 25 and he said to them have you never read so they ask him hey why do your disciples do this thing and break the sabbath and jesus says have you never read the scriptures that's his response what david did have you never read and he uses david they know who david was they, they know exactly what he's going to talk about here. And so when we look at this, we just see his response to them. And it's a great model for us, isn't it? That when we respond to someone, let's just take them back to the scriptures. But the thing is, most of our things don't have any scripture to back them up. That's the problem. I like that. Well, okay, you like it. Congratulations, and you do it your way. That's fine. But he asked them, have ye read? In chapter number 12, he says the same thing, and he says, and have ye not read the scripture? In chapter 12 and verse 26, he exposes the Sadducees. Have ye not read in the book of Moses? This was a common response from Jesus. And so we see, look at what he says here in verse 25 and 26. Have ye never read what David did? When he had need and was hungered, he 
and they that were with him. How he went into the house of God in the days of Adathar the high priest and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests, and gave also to them which were with him. And some out there would be like, well, that's wrong. They shouldn't have done it. They broke it. You know, the, real, the people, people are all over the place. You have some of your black and white. Everything's black or it's white. There's no middle ground anywhere. This is one of those where you've got to look at real close because it's a little bit different right here. When we look here, Jesus is appealing to David, who they would have honored and respected. King Saul was pursuing David during this time. And so because of that, David's companions were hungry and they needed food. So David asked the priest for some help and is told the only bread that he has is the holy bread, which is called showbread or the bread of the presence. Now, this bread that was in the house of God, let me just explain it to you real quick, okay? This showbread was 12 loaves of bread. It represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And they were baked fresh every Sabbath day. But hey, oh, think about that one. Let's just stop there for a second. They baked them on the Sabbath day. The Pharisees would have wanted nothing to do with that, right? Think about that one. The loaves were placed on a table to remind Israel of the Lord's presence and their dependence on him for their daily bread. This bread was replaced every Sabbath. So the old bread was then eaten by the priests and basically, Leviticus chapter 24, verse number 9, tells us that the only ones who were allowed to eat this bread that was Aaron's descendants who served as priests. But in this case, David and his men ate this bread. Wow. Think about that one there for a second. Here's the principle. Are you ready? Human needs transcend religious rituals. That's the principle. There are times when human needs are more important than a legalistic keeping of the law. Here's the argument that was made. If David and his disciples were allowed to violate a rule, then the greater David could allow his disciples to violate an unbiblical regulation on the Sabbath. You see, David... It was actually written that that wasn't supposed to happen. For Jesus, there was nothing written that the disciples and him could not do what they did. That's the principle and the argument that is made. What I want you to understand is this. God is more concerned with meeting people's needs than he is in protecting tradition. In Matthew's reporting of this account, Jesus' heart of mercy and compassion shows through. In Matthew 12, verse number 7, But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Ye would not have condemned the guiltless. Love, get this if you get nothing else this morning, love for others is more important than your legalistic rules. I'm not saying... Biblical matters, I'm saying, our preferences and our stand on things. So, Pastor, give me an example. I'm going to give you an example this morning. And it's so funny. Cameron, I love you. And I'm not picking on you this morning. This is in no way picking on you. 
But do you know there are some people that have a problem with someone wearing a hat in church? And I'm not, okay, I'm not coming after you, okay? But some people have a problem with it. It shows disrespect. You, it does. Cameron, are you being disrespectful coming in church with a hat on? He's not coming in here to be disrespectful today. He's not. I know Cameron. He's a good guy. But there are some that see a hat. <laughs> They're pointing at his grandpa. Oh, boy. I'm not trying. No, but listen. This, you also got to understand, you grow up in different eras and things. And to what some something is, to some it's not. So if someone comes in, they're wearing a ball cap, I don't care. They're coming to church. I've had people come to me in the past 10 years and say, that person wore a cap to church, you should tell them to take it off in the middle of your preaching. <laughs> Could you show me in here where that says that? Could you please show me? You can't. That's one of those that is a preference for us. Now, you got to understand, too, we could go even deeper and go into Romans chapter 14. There are times like, okay, Cameron, so let's, let's say that your grandpa is, doesn't like hats on in the house. So like with Romans 14, you go to his house, you want to try and make him not be a bad Christian, have a bad attitude with you, just don't wear the hat for him, you know? So, and you just do certain things. That's what the Bible talks about in different areas. But when we get so concerned about a hat, I just praise God someone's sitting at church listening to the word of God. And normally the ones who complain to me are the ones who are sleeping during the service anyways, and those that were in the hat are wide awake. And so, but you see, it's things like that. There's no scriptural backing on that. And if you say, well, I'm, I feel strong about that, then you're a legalist. And your rules matter more than people do. And you'd fit in great with the Pharisees. And I'm sorry if that offends you, but that's the truth. Now, let's tie all this together and get to the end here. If I, and if you're offended this morning, you're probably a legalist. So just remember that. All right, number three. We get to, ab we get to application today. After, and you might not be happy with Jesus. You legalists might, if you are a legalist, and I don't think we really have any. Like I said, at times, we all are, okay? We all are. Every single one of us, because we have certain things that we like done. It's just we all are. So I'm not pinpointing and saying directly to anyone, per but we all do it at times. And I'll say for many years, you listened to me and the way I preached and the way I, I, would, I was more of a legalist for a long time. And at times, it still comes out of me. And we'll just, you know, I'm learning, I'm growing, and that's a good thing. And, you, and I've also heard this, and please don't crucify the messenger right here, okay? This is just what I've heard. I could be wrong. This could be wrong. I've heard some say that the older we get, the harder we get on all those things. I'm just making a statement and what you do with that's your business but i see it in churches i see it with pastors a lot the older they get the more staunch they get on things that just don't matter and so be careful not to harden yourself on these things let's get the application and uh get out of here and hopefully i'll still have some friends by the time i'm done pour gas this is like pouring gasoline in the diesel motor this morning <laughs> it was like two days in a row the application. The first one is this. Jesus gives them two. The Sabbath was given to serve us. We see that there. He said, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. 
Jesus cuts right through the religious rules and rituals to the reason behind the giving of the Sabbath. So, you know, what came first? The Sabbath or man? Man did. Then the Sabbath. Man was made on the sixth day, Sabbath on the seventh day. In some of my research for the sermon and things, I learned that there are some rabbis that actually taught that humans were created before the Sabbath so they'd be ready to keep the Sabbath. That's why, that that was literally why. But that's not what Jesus is teaching here. The Sabbath was given to people out of the grace of God. It was designed, the Sabbath was designed to be a blessing and not bondage. Get that this morning. The Sabbath was given to serve man, not something that we must serve. This is a day of rest, was a time of refreshment, a day, not a day of restriction. It turned into, oh, today's a day of rest where, ooh, what, if I do this, then, ooh, I can't, then, you see the difference, what takes place? And sometimes we do that in Christianity. We are free in Christ, but then we bondage ourselves up with a bunch of legalistic rules and things. And I am for having standards, I'm for having preferences, I'm for those things. And more Christians should have them. But the Sabbath was given to serve us. And then, next, serve the one who is sovereign over the Sabbath. The title Son of Man is a messianic title, meaning it was used of the anointed one, the coming one, to free God's people. The Pharisees would have recognized what he was saying right here. But just in case they didn't, Jesus boldly refers to himself as the Lord of the Sabbath. The title Lord refers to one to whom all things belong. He's the owner. Jesus has authority over the Sabbath because he is Almighty God. Matthew 12 says, you that in this place is one greater than the temple, referring to himself. As we go through the gospel of Mark here, and as we think about other passages, the more that Jesus declared himself to be God, the more he declared himself, or he healed people on the Sabbath. The Bible tells us in John 5, 18, therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that the God was his father, making himself equal with God. They hated him because of that. For sake of time this morning, there's a little section in your notes that I want you to read through later and some passage of Scripture that I want you to save and look at later. But when we talk about the Sabbath and rest, the only way that we have real rest is through Jesus Christ. And there's some parallels I mentioned there in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. And the Sabbath was a temporary rest. Christ is our permanent and all-time rest. And there's so much you can look at in those verses. And so as we finish this morning, I want you to understand something. When Jesus cried out on the cross, and you'll, I want you to read through that section there later on, but when Jesus cried out, he literally finished it. The price for sin was paid. There's nothing you and I can do to add to it. It was finished. Done. That's it. Nothing religiously we try to do, no tradition that we have, gets us in any better graces because Jesus brought us in. 
he did it. As we close this morning, I want to give you a few little things to apply to our lives. The first one is this. Maybe you're not saved. Receive the rest that only Christ can give you. If you persist in working and your good work's getting you there, I want you to understand something they will not. What's the work of God? John 6, 29. This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. True rest only comes from Christ. The only way you're getting to heaven is going through the door. He's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. Number two, submit to the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's Lord of all. He's the owner. He's the master of everything. Jesus is greater than any tradition that you and I might have or any ritual that we might have. Thirdly, and we're, we're finishing here, set apart a day for worship. You could say, and the principle behind the Sabbath was a day just to rest, a day to establish rhythms, get rest, recalibrate, get some renewal, some refreshment. And yes, we're not under the Sabbath today. And yes, if on your Saturday, your day off, you decide to mow your grass, it's okay. It is okay. And some of you, I know, you wives, you told me to tell your husband that it's okay for them to mow the grass on Saturday. But um, it's a good thing to get some rest. There's a great biblical pattern set here. We don't follow the Sabbath as they did in Scripture, but you should, from work, take time off. I see a lot of people, say, and I'm not trying, trying to park or to say anything, to, but sometimes I see people have 10, 12 weeks of vacation time they never take. Why not get a break? Get a break. Take time to be with your spouse. Take time to be with your kids. Take vacation. Go, get away. And then number four, and lastly, put love over legalism. Put love over legalism. The question this morning, are we more like Jesus or are we more like the Pharisees? Think on that one for a little bit this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for the time we've had in your word.